Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Yeah, good morning, church. Um, right, a lot of uh, good, happy announcements this morning. So, um, we are continuing on, though, today in our series on uh, that's called He Will Fight for You. And we've been looking at a bunch of different biblical uh, principles and perspectives on some of the battles that Christians face. And so today, uh, we're going to look at the beloved story of David and Goliath. Sorry, uh, just a minute. Great. I'm sure somewhere in the Sunday school curriculum, the story of David and Goliath is there, and they'll probably get it better anyway. So, or at least more interesting, huh? Uh, so, uh, anyway, we're, we're going to look today at the story of David and Goliath from 1 Samuel chapter 17. And also, you know, like, like the kids are probably hearing it at some point, if you've been around church any length of time, I'm sure you've heard a sermon or two uh, about this particular passage. It's a popular story. Um, but I do encourage you not to fall asleep yet, uh, but you may still find a few surprising things here or there, so uh, stay with us. Now normally, uh, so, so 1 Samuel chapter 17 is about 58 verses long, and normally with a long passage, I wouldn't go ahead and read through the whole thing, maybe uh, just key in on some highlighted uh, passages, but actually it was inspired by Ziggy last week who had us read through the entire chapters of Acts 6 and 7. Okay, uh, and First uh, Samuel 17 isn't nearly that long because the reality is that that it's the Bible that is God's revealed word, not whatever I have to say. So I, I want us to actually spend that time reading. So I've asked uh, Atushe to come uh, and read for us all 58 verses of First Samuel 17. So go ahead and pull out your Bible, uh, and you can uh, follow along with us there. morning, church. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'll be reading from the ESV version, 1 Samuel chapter 17. David and Goliath. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in the Ephes Daimim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from them, from the camp of the Philistines, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. 
The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also, take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked to them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another, and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated him before they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth and if he rose against me I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God and David said the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And, they, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered the, their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as, da as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul, to and Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Thank you. So that's the story. Uh, and before we dive into that a bit, let's uh, back up a little and get a little bit of the context. So uh, during the period of the judges that comes right before uh, 1 Samuel, um, the people of Israel kept rebelling against God, and then God would raise up some of the uh, enemies, some of the neighboring countries around them, to uh, fight as their kind of regional enemies against these areas. And then the people would uh, repent and turn back to God, and so God would raise up regional leaders called judges to fight back and uh, defeat their oppressors. And so one of those enemies, you can see there in the southwest uh, corner, is the Philistines. But then the people asked for a king. Uh, they wanted to, uh, to have a national leader to come uh, and, and gather a national army to take them out and fight uh, against these uh, oppressors and win great military victories. So up to this point, God had been their king, uh, mediated through these regional judges. So in asking for a king, they were actually rejecting God as their king. Nevertheless, God did give them a king uh, named Saul. He was the national leader. He united all of the tribes and raised up an army to go out and fight against the Philistines. Uh, and so, as we said, the Philistines, uh, you can see on the next map that they drew up their armies uh, in from the west to the south part of the Valley of Elah, and then Saul and his armies gathered on the north part with the valley uh, in between. Now the Philistines had a great strategy. Uh, rather than the two armies fighting against each other and a lot of people dying, they said, hey, let's do this one-on-one, -on -one, you know, gladiator style. Uh, so you choose one champion from Israel and send them out to fight for the people on behalf uh, of the people, and then we'll do the same. Now, uh, clearly the Philistines feel like they have the advantage here uh, because they have Goliath, a guy three meters tall and strong enough to carry all this heavy armor that was described uh, in the passage, well-trained in battle from his youth. Uh, now, surely he could defeat whoever the Israelites were going to send out against them. And then for 40 days... 
Goliath steps out into the valley and calls up to the Israelites and gives them this challenge. Uh, and Ziggy reminded us last week that that number 40 is often used in the context of testing. So Israel is being tested here. Who is it that will stand up for God against the taunts of this enemy? Meanwhile, uh, Saul, back at the camp, he's busy asking the same question, isn't he? Uh, yeah, who's going to go out there against this guy? Look, I'm the king. I'm just going to chill here. You know, you don't want to lose your king in battle, right? So, uh, look, I tell you what. I will give you, whoever, whoever's going to stand up here, I'm going to give you wealth. Uh, I'll give you my daughter to marry. You can join the royal family, a little prestige name there. Uh, look, I'll even make your family, your father's household, they will be free from uh, service in the military, in the palace, whatever. That sounds like a good deal, right? So who's it going to be, right? Who's going to step up? Anyone? Anyone? Uh, really, this is just a cover for Saul's own uh, fear and cowardice. And so the army follows their leader, afraid for their lives, and no one stepping up to the challenge. Enter David. So David is described in verse 12 as being from the tribe of Judah and the town of Bethlehem. His father was too old to join the military, and so he sent his three eldest sons to represent the family. Uh, and then dad asked the, the youngest, David, uh, probably a teenager at the time who was the shepherd, uh, dad asked him to go to the front lines, visit his brothers, take them some supplies, uh, and then just check on how they're doing and bring back some word. So. When David gets there, the army is just on its way to go out to the front lines and, and form the battle lines there. And so David, imagine, a, you know, a teenage boy seeing all this. He's like, whoa, this is so cool, you know. So uh, he runs out and, and joins them, finds his brothers out there on the front lines. And just about that time, Goliath steps up and gives his challenge. I love in the text where it says, and David heard him. Yeah. So, again, David must be thinking, awesome, this is going to be so cool. I get to see God's champion go out and fight this giant. This is going to be great. So he looks up the battle lines to his left, looks up the battle lines to his right, but nobody is stepping forward to the challenge. Now, what we need to see here is how different David's perspective on this battle is from everyone else's. Look what he says in verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So first thing, David calls Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine. Uh, what does Goliath's foreskin have anything to do with this? Uh, <laughs> it's actually kind of a low blow, right? Hitting below the belt, quite literally. Um, so, remember, Genesis 17, Abraham, God comes and makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says, all of your descendants, all the male descendants are to be circumcised. So circumcision is the sign of the covenant. It means you're part of the covenant people uh, of God. So when David calls Goliath uncircumcised, it's not some kind of odd name calling, he's saying to this guy that, that, that he is outside of the covenant. He is against God's people. So all of the Israelites, they were looking at this guy and they, with their physical eyes. And so they saw this imposing, this undefeatable giant. But David looked at him and saw an enemy of God. And then he said to Goliath that, that Goliath was defying the armies of the living God. Now, once again, the, the, the people were looking at this battle with their physical eyes. Uh, they saw man against giant. But David recognized the spiritual nature of what's going on here. Every day that Goliath came out, he was mocking and taunting Israel. But he wasn't just defying Saul. He wasn't just defying the armies of Israel. Because Israel was God's covenant people. So by shaming them... He was shaming their God. It's the honor of Yahweh that is at stake here. 
And then did you notice in verse 43, when Satan, uh, sorry, when Goliath, uh, about the same, um, when Goliath sees David, he curses him by his gods, it says. See, what would happen if the Philistines won this battle, then it would demonstrate that their gods are superior to Israel's gods. And so when David is standing up against Goliath, what he's doing, he's defending God's honor. He's saying, no, there is only one living, true God. It's the God of Israel, and he's going to prove it today. And that's why he doesn't, it says he doesn't fight in his own name. He's not fighting in the name of, of Saul or of Israel. He says, I come to you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. This isn't David against Goliath. This is a battle of the gods. It's Yahweh against the Philistine gods. And then also notice uh, in David's different perspective, the different result that he is looking for. So the people of Israel, they just want to win the war, you know, get a few spoils, you know, live in peace. But David says, look in verse 46, the day Yahweh will deliver you into my hand, uh, this day Yahweh will deliver you into my hand so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. When Goliath dies and, Israel, and the Philistines are routed, it is so obvious that this is God because no normal person is going to beat that guy, right? especially not some little shepherd boy. So when all the other nations hear about what happened here, they will have no choice but to say, wow, Israel's God is the real, true God. So while everyone else in the Israelite army is focused on the physical uh, battle, they're trembling, they're afraid, all seems impossible and hopeless. Meanwhile, David, he understands the true spiritual nature of the battle. So in verse 47, he says, The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. God is the one fighting this battle. And when it's God versus Goliath, that seems a whole lot less intimidating, doesn't it? From that perspective, then, the next part uh, actually makes perfect sense. So uh, King Saul hears that somebody has volunteered. So he's probably excited to see who this is. Then they bring in this kid, smells like sheep. Uh, and he's like probably chuckled a little bit and says, look, kid, you got heart, but you're a kid. Uh, he has been training for the military since he was younger than you are. Uh, and so David drops a little CV telling about, you know, kill a lion, kill the bear. Um, but then he puts it in perspective. He says, Yahweh, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He knows that it's God who's fighting the battle. So I can just picture Saul looks over at his general. And he's like, ah, well, we ain't got anybody else. So <laughs> um, at least let's try and give this kid, you know, you know, let's hook him up. So he tries to give David his armor, gives him his sword. Uh, but when David tried them on, he's like, ah, you know, I've, I've never really practiced with these. So this won't work. Let me just leave them. Once again, Saul is looking at this battle from the physical perspective. Large giant, lots of armor, big sword, javelin. We've got to hook this kid up, give him the best armor and sword that we've got. Saul looked at the physical battle, and he's trying to fight with physical weapons. But David's weapon was faith. Faith in the living God of Israel to fight for him. So as we read, Yahweh indeed fought for David. And then check this out. I love this. Uh, this will maybe help you love the Old Testament more. Uh, David tells Goliath in verse 46, I will strike you down and cut off your head. And then that's exactly what happened. David takes a, a sling and, and a stone and hits him in the forehead. And look what it says in verse 49. It says, he fell on his face to the ground. And then David took Goliath's own sword and chops his head off. We need to do a little flashback. 1 Samuel chapter 5. Before David, 
before Saul, even before Samuel, Israel was still at war with the Philistines, and they got this brilliant idea, let's take the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle into battle with us. Uh, Now, the Ark of the Covenant was the very dwelling place of God amongst the people of Israel. But they're treating it like some magic token. You know, we're going to bring this into battle. It's going to assure victory for us. But funny enough, God is not a magic token, uh, and he can't be manipulated to accomplish our goals. So Israel gets defeated in the battle. The Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant, take it back to Philistia, and then they put it in the t- one of their temples next to this big statue of their false god, Dagon. And then what happened? Well, the very next morning, the, the people come into the temple, and what do they see? They see the statue of Dagon fallen with his face to the ground, and his head is cut off. Right? You see, Goliath is defeated just like the Philistine god Dagon. Yeah, this is a battle of the gods. The Philistine gods are no gods at all. Yahweh is the one true living God, and he won the victory. So then the Philistine army fled, and the Israelite army uh, chased after them all the way back to Philistia, killing all the slow people along the way. Okay, so that's the story. So how then does this apply to our own lives today? That's the question. So first, uh, an illustration. Uh, We were going to get a photo. Did we get a photo? Okay, great. We got a photo. Uh, This is us, right? Good-looking crew there of the church. I know it's hard to see some of the small faces in the back, but... uh, Good. So let me ask you, when you see this photo, what's the first thing that you're looking for? (laughs) Absolutely. You look for you. (laughs) You look for yourself. Did they catch me making a funny face? Have I got a good smile or something, right? Um, And I think you you can put that off now. (laughs) Otherwise, you're going to be looking for yourself the whole time. I think that's often how we approach the Bible, that the first thing we try to do is find ourselves in the story. So thinking of our story, well, who, I, who am I in the story? Well, naturally, I'm the hero. I'm David, right? I'm always the hero. And if that's true, then this story is all about me slaying the giants in my life. Now, there are certainly things in your life that seem like giants, maybe an impossible debt or an injury, sickness, maybe an unbearable boss that you have, maybe you don't have a boss, you're still looking for a job, whatever. These giants in your life, and uh, victory just seems impossible or hopeless. And then, right, this is where the five stones come in, right? So uh, as long as you have these five things in your life, then you can slay any giant just like David. So then we make those five stones mean whatever we want, really. Let's call them uh, uh, service and obedience and faith and prayer and the Holy Spirit. Or, or we can use some alliteration, make it, make it really cool, right? Your past, your prayer, your persistence, your passion and your priority, And as long as you have these five things, then you can slay any giant in your life. Maybe you've heard that sermon before once or twice. But let's go back and take a closer look at David. Remember how he was introduced. He is from the tribe of Judah, from the town of Bethlehem. If you're reading through the whole book of 1 Samuel, then you've actually already met David Back in chapter 16, Saul had disobeyed God, and so God rejected him as the king. And then the prophet Samuel went to Bethlehem and anointed young David to be the next king of Israel. And then here in this chapter, we see David standing up and fighting on behalf of faithless Israel. So maybe we could summarize the theme of our story and say something like, God's anointed one fights against God's enemies on behalf of God's people. Now, if we put it that way, then New Testament Christians will clearly understand that David doesn't point to me. 
points to Jesus, right? Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. He was born in the town of Bethlehem. He's a descendant of David himself. Do you know what Christ means? It's, no, it's not Jesus' surname. It's the, Christ is the Greek version of the Hebrew Messiah, which means anointed one. Jesus Christ is God's anointed one who fights against God's enemies on behalf of God's people. Okay. But today, we're not fighting against Philistines. As Wilco reminded us a few weeks back from Ephesians chapter 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. God's spiritual enemies are Satan, sin, and death. And if you and I have to take on that fight, ha, yeah, that's as hopeless as us trying to fight against Goliath, isn't it? You want to, you know, back in our chapter, you want to find yourself in this story? Well, look no further than the cowering Israelites. You and I are not the Savior. We're the ones who need saving. We're the ones who need that champion to fight on our behalf. But the good news is that the Lord, that the battle is the Lord's. Okay? God's anointed one has fought against God's enemies on behalf of God's people, and he is victorious. He won the battle. So now we look on faith, or look in faith to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has already won the victory. Well, let's see. So, Satan. Satan is a fallen angel, a created being. Jesus is the creator, Colossians 1.16, which means that he is more powerful than his creation. So, when Jesus was on earth, he went around casting demons out of people because he is more powerful than Satan. And then look what it says in Luke chapter 11. 21 and 22, Jesus compares this situation to a strong man. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, then he takes his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. That's Jesus, that he is the stronger one who has invaded Satan's house and defeated him. John 3, uh, 1 John 3, verse 8 says, The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He won the victory. And sin. Since Adam and Eve, uh, Genesis chapter 3, sin has taken us all captive. The Bible calls us slaves to sin, Romans chapter 6. But all sin, uh, we all sin by nature. And so therefore, we're, we're earning God's wrath, the penalty of death. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, but he defeated that temptation. Hebrews 4.15 says that in every respect, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. The only person to ever live who was completely victorious over temptation and sin did not sin. And so, with no sin of his own to die for, he took our sin on himself, killed it on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. His death paid the penalty for sin, so now sin has no claim over those who are in Christ. He won the victory. And death, uh, death, it didn't win that day, right? Because Jesus defeated death by rising from the dead. Death couldn't hold him in the grave. Because as Jesus said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Death doesn't have the final victory because in Christ... We can be raised again to eternal life, have victory over death. 1 Corinthians 15 
says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The battle is the Lord's, and he has won the decisive victory. But that raises a question. Well, if the battle's been won, then why does it feel like I'm still fighting? It sure feels like sin is very much alive and well. I mean, just look in the newspapers. You don't even have to look far. In my own life, temptation still feels very real. Perhaps an illustration will help here. Hiru Onoda was a 22-year-old second lieutenant in the Imperial Japanese Army in World War II. In 1944, he was given orders to defend Lubang, uh, a remote island in the Philistines, and uh, in the Philippines. <laughs> Very close. Easy to mistake. Uh, and that's exactly what he did. He defended this island for the next 30 years. The war ended, okay, in 1945. Japan, Japan surrendered, but the orders to stand down never reached him on the island of Lubang, uh, him and his, he had a detachment of three troops there. And so they hid in the jungle, living off the land, and kept doing these raids and skirmishes against the local occupiers. Now, the authorities, they went around dropping leaflets all over the island uh, to try and let them know about the Japanese surrender. They e even put letters and recordings from the people's own family. But they were just convinced that, no, this is just allied propaganda trying to get us to turn ourselves in. Okay. Finally, one, one soldier surrendered in 1949. Uh, two others were killed in skirmishes in 1954, 1972. Finally, in 1974, at 52 years old, Onoda agreed to turn himself in when his elderly uh, commander, from his commanding officer from Japan, was brought in out of retirement to order him to stand down. <laughs> the war was over. Victory had been won. The Japanese were defeated, but he kept fighting for another 30 years. So I think it's kind of like that. Christ has won the victory. He's secured the victory. Satan, sin, and death are defeated foes, but they are still present. They're still kicking around. They're still causing havoc until that day when Christ comes again and he will then finish them forever, right? The victory is secured, but only then will it be finally satisfied, fulfilled, finished, klar, right? So today, we live in this kind of already but not yet time period where the effects of Christ's victory are already here to some extent, but not yet fully. Okay, Satan is defeated, but he's not destroyed. The penalty of sin has been paid, but as long as we live in this fallen world, in these fleshly bodies, then it still tempts and deceives us. Death is defeated, but... Uh, and, and, you know, one day we'll ultimately have resurrection bodies, but not yet. Our physical bodies still die. So Christ has won the victory, but the full effects of that victory are still to come. Okay? You see that already, but not yet. So then the next question is, in these kind of already but not yet days, how do we appropriate or, or take hold of Jesus' victory in these battles that we still face today? That's the real question for us, is it not? You get the question? That Jesus won the ultimate spiritual victory, but how does that matter for me today in my life? I want to highlight three things. Number one, what is your perspective? 
David understood something that the rest of the Israelites did not understand. He looked beyond the physical situation and saw the spiritual realities. He knew that Israel was God's people, the Philistines were God's enemies, and that the battle belongs to the Lord. But how often do we get stuck looking at the physical situation and lose sight of the spiritual realities? For example, let's say you get diagnosed with cancer. It is really easy to look at cancer as your enemy. And victory in that situation would be to get healed. But sickness is a consequence of living in this fallen world that is broken by sin. Cancer is not the enemy here. Sin is. Cancer is a physical problem that doctors may or may not be able to solve with surgery or radiation or chemotherapy or whatever. The real battle is what's going on in your heart. It's a battle against bitterness and anger towards God for allowing this to happen. It's a battle against selfishness because everyone else should feel sorry for you. It's a battle against hopelessness, against distrust that God doesn't care for you. Do you look at this from a spiritual perspective and see the spiritual realities going on here? Maybe if you did, then you would be less focused on the physical situation, and then maybe you would notice the nurse whose life is falling apart and needs to put her trust in Jesus. Maybe through your testimony, then, she comes to trust Christ. And then, even though God never heals you from cancer, he has proved triumphant over that situation by helping you overcome your sinful attitudes and being the agent that God used to bring a new child into his family. So the result, then, is that more people have come to know and glorify God. What's your perspective? Are you focused on the physical situation, or are you focused on the true spiritual realities? Number two. The battle against personal sin. Uh, let's say I do recognize the spiritual realities. I look at my own heart and I recognize that I often fail. I do the wrong thing. I say the wrong thing. I think the wrong thing. I, I maybe want to do the right thing, but I can't seem to stop. Maybe I feel addicted to the praise of others, or uh, maybe a relationship that I know I shouldn't be in, or maybe the buzz of alcohol or pornography or shopping. Um, maybe I feel like Paul in Romans 7 when he says, For I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. Well, first things first, the solution to your sin problem with God is not doing more good things. You cannot make up for the bad things by balancing, out with, uh, balancing them out with enough good things. It doesn't work that way. The punishment for sin is not go do some community service. It's death. You sin against God, the just punishment is death. Sin and death, those are not enemies that we can defeat. So we can only say with Paul in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Jesus has fought this battle on your behalf and won the victory. He took our sin upon himself on the cross, paid the punishment for sin, so that now we can gain the benefits of that victory by trusting in him as the one who fights for us. By believing that he secured the victory in your place, on your behalf. That's what it means when Christians say to place your faith in Christ. Trusting him to fight the battle against sin and death that you and I could never win on our own. Okay, but that doesn't get rid of temptation, as like we said, as long as we live in these fleshly bodies in this fallen world, sin is, is still present 
in us. And so uh, first remember that sin is a defeated foe. Emancipation has been declared. Your old slave master of sin has no claim over you anymore. So then why do you keep putting yourself back under his fist? As Paul says in Romans chapter 6, using a different illustration, how can we who died to sin still live in it? It's like the, the widow whose husband has passed away. She is now free to marry another. So let us stop being in, trying to be in relationship with our dead lover of sin, but let us remarry to God and his righteousness. Okay? So Paul continues in chapter 6, verse 13. Do not offer any part of yourself uh, to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as instruments of righteousness. Okay? Sin is a defeated foe. And then also recognize that God doesn't leave you alone in this. You are not alone in your battle against sin. He sends us his spirit to live in us, to empower us in this battle against personal sin. This is a process theologians call sanctification, being made holy. So Romans 15 verse 6 says, we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. One more in Galatians 5 verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So you're not alone in this fight. So we appropriate, we take hold of Jesus' victory over sin first by trusting in his victory on our behalf and then with the help of the Holy Spirit, we put to death sin in our lives every day. Okay, lastly, uh, number three, sin in the world around us. We may work on uprooting sin in our own life, uh, but we still live in a world with a whole bunch of people who love their sin. And we just, like I said, we look in the newspaper every day and you see people are impatient or drunk as they're driving on the roads and cause fatal car accidents, rape violence, murder, corruption, daily headlines. We have protests against racism and abortion and gender-based violence. Our world is sin-sick and desperately needs Jesus. Now remember what we said, that one day when Christ returns, he will destroy evil once and for all, but not yet. Evil is still present, and so we shouldn't expect to somehow create heaven on earth However, as followers of Christ, we can have a purifying influence in our world today. We do that by bringing into the social sphere the character of Christ that he is growing in us. Things like love, peace, mercy, grace, forgiveness. We are called, Matthew chapter 5, to be salt and light in the world. And that as we live out that character of Christ, then we shine, Philippians chapter 2, as lights in the world, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So, Christian, by all means, get out there, be a social influence for godly biblical principles. But remember, first, the ultimate victory will not happen until Christ comes again. And secondly, remember our spiritual perspective. The enemy is not the person on the other side of the argument, the other side of the picket line, the other side of the police barricade. The enemy is sin. The real enemy is not the drunk driver or the racist or the wife beater or the murderer. The real enemy is sin. Sin in you both. Sin in them which leads them to do those things, and the sin in you, which leads you to hatred, anger, bitterness, violence. 
That is the real battle. Okay, and we don't fight these battles with the weapons of the world, just like David didn't use Saul's weapons. We fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons, things like faith, prayer, God's truth, love, peace. How you go about your social influence will reveal a lot about which battle you're fighting, the physical or the spiritual, and who you are trusting to win that battle. Okay, so wrapping up. As we continue to live in this world where Satan, sin, and death are still alive and kicking, take heart because the victory has been won. Jesus Christ is God's anointed one who has defeated God's enemies on behalf of God's people. So we don't go around in fear. We do not shrink back. But we remember the battle belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a, a glorious uh, celebratory message that Jesus has won the victory. Thank you so much that as we uh, cowering, trembling people who are incapable of this fight against Satan, sin, and death, you sent your son, your champion, to come and defeat those evils on our behalf. But still, I pray for each and every one of us as we continue to walk through this world where those evils are still present. Give us the grace and the faith to trust in you, to trust in Christ as we walk through the battles that we face against sin and temptation in our own lives and, and sin in the world around us. Give us the grace to express the character of Christ in the way that we uh, fight those battles and live out our lives. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. This is Rico Veca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.